14. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going on 14. I am Mike. I'm Patrick. I'm Joel, comma. <laughs> and I'm Josh. And, you know, I always found Joe Pesci funny, you know, like a clown to amuse us. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm not going okay. down, I'm not going okay. down that road. <laughs> Don't worry, Joel's already halfway down the block with that one. What do you mean, question mark? <laughs> oh, Jesus. God. You will give me my minute, exclamation point. <laughs> Did we somehow at one point agree that we were going to announce all of our punctuation? No, that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's good radio, period. <laughs> Why not, question mark? And we're done. <laughs> Is my minute up Here's already, your... question mark? Here? Yes. Yes. Aw. <laughs> okay, now I'm done. Yay! Well, welcome to show 45. Umlaut. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Am That's I doing it right? <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the game. The game is over. Oh, no. We're not doing Gager Man this episode again. Fuck that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gauntlet has been thrown. No, we're it has not. Nope, it really nope. has not. No, we're not. Look, I, I got to work tomorrow. We're not playing starting Cajun Man now. <laughs> All right. We're not starting at the, at the <clears> show either. You know what we are starting what? is what? welcome to the Scorsese show. What? We're starting? What? Yes, we're talking about the career of Martin Scorsese. Because we all watched Scorsese movies as a child. Yay, Scorsese. And I, unfortunately, am not going to be able to contribute a whole hell of a lot to this one because I haven't seen a lot of Scorsese movies. What? Yeah. His mother has, I've seen, but he hasn't. Well, he made, he made, uh, he made, she made my brother watch I was going to say, I think she probably made us <laughs> watch him. <laughs> so, You're busy but, at the doctor's office. Uh, we do not have any voicemails this week, uh-huh. but we do have an email from our good friend and listener, Joe Aberino. Thank you, Joe. Jay who Aberino. suggests that we do a um, Quentin Tarantino show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. <gasps> that does sound good. Let's do that. <gasps> Tarantino? I would very much like to do Tarantino show. Yes. Uh, we know you would like to do that. Then we'll do a show after it. Boom, boom. And we had a little bit of listener feedback on Twitter. Uh, at an internet jock, Davids, uh, mentioned that in our heavy metal show that we didn't even mention System of a Down. There's a reason for that. Yeah, if you're a fan of System of a Down, you're probably uh, probably glad we didn't talk about them too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we made a group decision before we even started the show that we were not going to discuss System of a Down. Sorry, well, people. Don't forget, this is also the same guy who was set, uh, glad to see Patrick back. That's true. His next tweet was, oh, and it's good to hear oh. Pat again. Oh. So, no accounting for taste, apparently. Oh, and listener is gone. <laughs> oh, have you tasted Pat? I have not. I, we have pictures of you doing it, though. Tastes like sardines that's and true. lime. It is and lime. speaking of uh, sardines, uh, Neil C., also known as Listener, no, that's not li- Listener, somebody else. Neil C., uh, who has called into the show before, uh, has got a tweet for Pat. Maybe you'll get a pic of me covered in soda. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you just break through a wall? Like the Kool-Aid yeah, man? Is Kool-Aid soda? No, but he said, oh, yeah. Uh, that maybe he was eating a Slim Jim. Say, he may have snapped into a Slim Jim, possibly. Yeah, that interpretation was mine for emphasis. <laughs> ah, so you've got Slim Jims. Yes, I do. His pants. You know what else I've got? Well, I've got the I, I, I just like to geek. tell Neil that I, that I would probably, I'll take it, whatever. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> At this point, I've also got the Musings of a Geek podcast network, which we are a proud part of. Yes, and uh, if you want to get in touch with us or hear any of the shows, you can find it on musingsofageek.com or uh, 40go14.com. 
And for a second there, I thought we were ending the show. I got really confused. <laughs> but if you want to contact us, 40go14 at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. And uh, 708 now wrap 708-669-9727 is the uh, phone number that you can leave us a voicemail at. And Mike's now just like, all right, good night. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that show went quickly. <laughs> wow, I thought Scorsese would have a little more content. Oh. Uh, exactly, Pat. <laughs> I still have that. Obviously. <laughs> Robo Robopat. Yeah. So uh, and now oh, hang on. This week. Wait, 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 I was just gonna what, say what, one quick uh, network related promo. Uh, two more shows have been added. The oh. Culture Babble blog uh, has uh, are doing a podcast. Now they are on the network. And the network also added how is this movie, the podcast. Oh. So <gasps> very nice. All right. So our empire grows, I guess. Yes. All hail the emperor. Who is the emperor anyway? Who's in all the- hail Scroob. Uh, Chancellor Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> all right. This week good now. Yeah, we should be good now. Okay. This week. Oh wait. In <laughs> music, <laughs> movies, and TV. All right. Nothing but smooth so. sailing from here on out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the bugs are worked out now. <laughs> yes, it is, you freak. <laughs> no, it's not. You are not allowed to use me against myself. We've been over this. I do that enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, RoboPat. <laughs> I, we love you. <laughs> I can't quit you. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> oh. There's all sorts of weird images going through my head now. <laughs> I feel funky. <laughs> Would you buy a Pat Real doll? Oh. <laughs> no, we, we just go to Josh's house. He's got like a, a broom with like a flannel shirt over it with the sleeves ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, are you in town? <laughs> I didn't see your car. Oh, it's good to see you, buddy. You've lost weight. <laughs> all right, weekend. so... This weekend, 1986, October 17th, is when The Color of Money was released, which is a movie by Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) All right, music. When I Think of You by Janet Jackson is number one. Such a great album. That's actually a really good song. Yeah. That is a good song. Was that the the album with the numbers on it, with the number? I forgot what the date date was, 20-something or other. Or was that Rhythm Nation? No, Rhythm Nation was the name of the song, oh, not the that, album. That, 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 there was an album called Rhythm Nation, wasn't there? Yes, yeah. there was. Was this uh, song that? Or was this... When I Think of You was the third single from the third studio album, Control. Ah, uh, there you go. Ah, there you go. Great album. <clears throat> okay. she, she has got a lot of good music. I, I enjoy her. I celebrate her entire catalog. And she, she's got a nice <laughs> pooper. Anyway. That too. She is definitely hot. Uh, you were thinking of Rhythm, Rhythm Nation 1814 was the last, the numbers you were thinking of, but it was still Rhythm Nation. And then That's Control was. was before that. Okay. Well, the Smiths also play their final gig as a five-piece group. And while the same week, Duran Duran begins their career with the release of Notorious. Wait, is that somehow related? Hmm. No. So like it's Superman just kind of showing the ebb and flow of music, one band falling apart while another one is starting. Oh, I thought it was like Clark Kent and Superman, like they've never been in the same room together. Like maybe <laughs> Robert like... Smith and Simon Le Bon are actually the same guy. Robert <laughs> <laughs> Smith, Robert have, have you seen them both lately? Simon Le Bon looks great. Yeah, he actually does. Robert Smith looks... Not so great. Big. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Smith looks like he ate the rest of. It's Friday. I'm hungry. 
<laughs> That's how it works. Anyway, uh, I liked Duran Duran back then. Yeah, I still like him now. I agree. Notorious was Notorious was a good song. I liked um, what was that video with the the lizard men? Uh, Wild Boys. Ooh. Oh, Wild Boys. That's yeah, a, we were yeah. just talking about yeah. that a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah. Simon Lebonum was got killed. Girls yeah. on film. <laughs> Ooh, that's another good video there, man. Yes, girls on film. Video. So, uh, movies. America is overcome with Aussie fever as Paul Hogan's Crocodile Dundee is in the midst of a nine-week run at number one, showing the entire world what Australians are really like. That's not a knife. <laughs> I see you've played knifey spoonie before. Oh, yeah. I might have to get an Australian accent together for this uh, this upcoming weekend when I will be appearing on the Coffin Joe cast. That's right. Ooh. Featuring a real Australian. Well, Paul Hogan was a real Australian, but not as real as Killer Wilbur. No, he's a very real Australian. Wait, what is the comments released? So the internet started back then in '86. At least uh, this is the acronym of the day for week. Oh, um, C O M. Color of money. There you oh. go. Hey. See, I thought that would be easy. I was like, the answer is kind of already there. Dot com. Okay. <laughs> All right. I was expecting more from you, Pat. What? Right, wait I'm disappointed sports. in that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> TV, October 9th, the Fox Broadcasting Company becomes the United States' fourth commercial broadcast network. And, of course, the top two shows are Cosby Show and Family Ties. Because, because it's the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the 80s, yeah. Living pops and sweater cells. Yep. Yeah. All right. Now, sports. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, oh, no reading ahead. No, just read. During the 91st... IOC, International Olive Competition. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. This is actually a pretty pretty well known acronym. It's not even mine. International Olympic Commission. I knew this one. Yep. Ah, oh, okay. Session in Lausanne, Switzerland, Barcelona, the birthplace of then IOC President Juan Anito Samaranch, and the second Nito? largest city of Spain. Antonio. Antonio. Yeah. How just screw up Antonio? <laughs> Antonio <and Dale> Samaranch. <laughs> Sam Squanch. Have you have you ever had a conversation with him? <laughs> it is always the easy yeah. stuff that trips him up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Samaranch started there. Uh, da, 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 Second largest city of Spain was selected over Amsterdam, Belgrade, Birmingham, Brisbane, Paris in the bid for the 1992 Summer Olympics. Pretty good. And miscellaneous. Yitzhak Rabin forms the Israeli government. Very nice. There you go. Look at you go. You spent some time yes. at a Greek restaurant. <laughs> hearing um, about some, the, uh, something Greek. Hearing about the. Oh, oh let's. Oh, oh, I forgot oh. about that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. The light goes on. Uh, I need to tell that or hear that story again. Uh, rolling things back just a little bit. Uh, we we're talking about the International Olympic Commission. Uh, the way they select the various sites is an interesting process, but I thought it was always corrupt until I learned about how the World Cup was uh, selected. I don't know if you guys yeah. heard about this. Yeah, the World yeah, Cup FIFA? Is, is just straight up corrupt. They don't even like lie about it. <laughs> like the next World Cup was selected to be in Qatar, where it is so hot you cannot actually physically play soccer. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what's? Never mind. I was going to say, what's the point? Wait. But yeah. Tons I mean, the World Cup is always, is always open to the highest bidder, and there's never been any bones about that. So are they going to make a giant umbrella or something? I don't know. What's, what's... I'm guessing we're going to have a bunch of guys playing soccer in like, those big suits that you see in the radiation movies around Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's going to be like the maybe Hurt Locker. Maybe in those, oh, the Hurt what if they're in those soccer. big sumo suits? Right. <laughs> that would be fun. I'd, I'd watch that. The Hurt Locker playing soccer. That's what Pat said. He rhymed. Yep. He's a rapper. Uh, we got to do the rap show. 
I was tweeting about that yeah. today. I don't know if that's a good idea, but all right, let's all right, do let's do the rapture. Sure, rap. Damn it, can't talk. So Scorsese. Yes, Scorsese. So Martin Scorsese. Apparently he's not here. Were you expecting him to join us? I don't know. I I sent him a message. I figured he'd join us on Skype, but uh, he's not answering. He didn't. He's not answering his phone calls anymore. So. Yeah, and we don't have people, so we can't have people to get his people. Because we need to get people. How do you get people? Well, we ask anybody out there. You want to be our people? That's what Wait, Gen what? Con is for. Oh. Come, come be our people. people. Yes, join us at Gen Con. Be our people. Eating people. Yeah. So anyway, get your people. It's going to cost though. So Everything Martin costs. Charles Scorsese was born November seventeenth, nineteen forty-two, in New York City. Get a rope. To Italian-American parents, Catherine Kappa and Charles Scorsese, he was raised in Little Italy, earned a BS degree, and that's not bullshit, in film communications in 1964, when you actually could use that degree probably. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like you spoke too soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Followed by an MA in the same field in 1966 at New York University School of Film. During this time, he made numerous prize-winning short films. He has made countless award-winning films, which we won't talk about the short ones, and made and been nominated for an Oscar eight times, one win, among numerous other awards and accolades. He is currently executive producer on HBO's series Boardwalk Empire, which Joel really feels he needs to watch desperately. I, I, I need like to watch that too. It's yeah. good. It's on. It's on uh, Amazon Prime now. So is it definitely? Yeah, like for free for Prime members. That's why I said Amazon Holy Prime. Holy crap balls. I'm going to go add that now. So you mean Amazon <laughs> you guys, Prime? You guys riff. No, no, no. Amazon Prime. You riff, and I'm going to add this on Amazon Prime, Optimus Prime. We have to riff now? Yeah, riff. Until you force you can... <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Is that I'm it? me. <laughs> All right. So, Scorsese. Joel, I'm going to have to, I mean, I have seen the least Scorsese movies out of all of you guys, so I'm not going to be very helpful in this. All right. Well, we've got uh, 1967. Who's that knocking at my door? Uh, We don't have it on the list that any of us have seen it. Uh, I don't even know what that one's about. It's kind of like anybody's talk. Right. Where somebody was like knocking and then like they kept saying, who's that knocking on the door? And they never opened it. And And it was really kind of the end. Oh, I just just found out what it was about, and I feel kind of bad. Well, and then and then Rockwell showed up, and he's like, "Somebody's watching me." Yeah, it's actually about the fact that a guy's dealing with the fact that his girlfriend was raped. Or it could be about that. I was close. I mean, not at all. Good lord. Very young Harvey Keitel. Yeah, he was all about Keitel back then. I thought he was born old. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then we go to 1972 with Boxcar Bertha, which was a depression era film about a union leader and a young woman who turned to crime to exact revenge on railroad management. So this guy has been making still good movies from the get go. Oh, absolutely. None of us Mm. saw that one either. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Uh, Mean Streets, Joel. Which kind of, I think. 1973 Mean Streets was released, which I think kind of set the tone for his career. Not that the other two didn't, but he made a mob movie, not and it had um, Robert De Niro and a very very young Harvey Keitel, and I believe Joe Pesci was in it also. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I found it to be rather slow in comparison to some of his later work, but you can see early on kind of where he was headed, and uh, he, he sets a tone that he kind of, in my opinion, kind of keeps throughout his career whenever he makes mob-infused films. Pat? 
I honestly, I, I know I've seen this movie, but I really don't remember much about it. I was very young when I saw it. I was like, I had to have been like 13. I don't remember much about it. I just remember catching it on cable one day. That's all. I mean, if you were going to compare it, I mean, if I should say, if I was going to compare it to some of his later works, I think it's better than uh, Casino and Goodfellas. But uh, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely dated and it's worth watching, though. I mean, if you've never seen it, especially to see, you know, these guys just starting out, it's it's kind of a nice little time capsule i wouldn't say it's okay. better than goodfellas but i see your point it is a good oh, we'll get to goodfellas all right moving on so we got, we got two films in 1974 the documentary italian american and then the feature film alice doesn't live here anymore uh alice doesn't live here anymore is not one that any of the four of us have seen it's an ellen burston and chris christopherson film about a recently widowed woman who's on the road with her kid and she wants to make a life for herself start over as a singer. So this one actually sounds like a legitimately sort of feel goodish movie, who, but who is the female lead then? Yeah. Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. I don't, maybe I have seen that one. I don't, it sounds slightly familiar. Yeah. Then again, maybe I'm thinking of tender mercies. I don't know. <laughs> this is another one that's got Harvey Keitel in it. Uh, got Diane Ladd, Vic Tabak, who's one of those guys that if you saw him, you might not recognize the name, but if you saw him, he's like, Oh yeah, he's that old guy in all the seventies movies. Yep. Mm hmm. All right, then something called Taxi Driver. Oh, nobody's seen that. <laughs> At least nobody named Mike has seen that because the rest of the three of us did. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Wow, that's good. Yeah, sorry. This, I mean, yeah, this is kind of the, um, I mean, if, if Mean Streets kind of set the tone, this set a watermark. Um, which I don't know. I mean, I think he's surpassed since then, but it's still one of those films that, that is timeless and that just continue, people continue to kind of dwell on and, and write about and just kind of go over and over. And I've seen it several times and each time I see it, I get something different out of it. Um, it's a story about Travis Bickle, who's a taxi driver, um, who's kind of slowly losing his mind a bit. I don't know if he was ever totally there, but he gets hooked up with an underage prostitute played by Jodie Foster. And, uh, he plans on killing, uh, is it the president? It's been a while since I've seen it. Oh no, he's uh, looking to kill. He's basically one of these guys that suffers mostly in silence. That, like, if you were to ask him what was wrong with the world, he'd mutter over and over again because he's got some opinions. But he usually just keeps them to himself, lives his shitty life, watches porn at the porn movies uh, in the middle of the day, does a lot of thinking about how fucked up the world is. And then there's one catalyst. He meets a worker on the campaign trail uh, for the senator who is going to be running for president. And he sees her as a good person. And so, uh, like a fl switch in his mind flips. Like this world is so fucked up. She's so good that I need to make the world better so people like her don't have to deal with how shitty it is. Which so he, yeah, they they I just I forgot that they he's actually uh, a Vietnam vet, which this was really early on before that kind of came a hot button thing, which is kind of interesting because I don't remember that being something that I, I even remembered, to be honest with you, until I just read that. <clears throat> but, so, yeah, he decides to start by trying to rescue an underage prostitute from her pimp. And he decides that he's going to make a difference the only way he knows how. And that's with a gun in his hand. Hmm. And it's got the classic, you know, are you looking at me? Are you talking to me? I'm sorry, not looking at me. That's uh, Blue Velvet. <laughs> Wrong director. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the, the gun that he has got the little uh, mechanism that pops it out of his sleeve and he shaves his head and 
it's it's a pretty violent movie for the time. Um, pretty bloody. And you it's know, still... you know that whole scene was all improv, right? Everybody knows that story about how all it says in the script is he, Travis looks at the mirror. Yeah, it's just one line, and he and basically De Niro turned that whole scene into that. And how many times has that been imitated since then? And I mean, and then you got a young Jodie Foster who was, I think, twelve at the time, or the prostitute in the movie is age twelve. I don't know if she, how old she was, but um, it's just I, I when I watched it, I was probably about. This is one I wanted to try and get to this week. I didn't get a chance, but I, I want to say it was maybe five years ago I watched it, and I was just as riveted that, that then as I was when I watched it a decade before. I mean, it just it, it holds up, in my opinion. I've, I've never honestly really cared for Taxi Driver. I always thought it was kind of over uh, overrated, really. I don't know, just too slow of a pace, and I thought it was just a little too... <clears throat> ham-fisted i guess with, with with their imagery and with their message and everything and i just i don't know i thought it was too artsy for its own good by the I way like, we, it's one of my least favorite scorsese movies actually we forgot to call spoilers at the beginning spoilers <laughs> oh yeah there i don't think spoilers. we have to call spoilers for a movie that's as old as i am no i'm just saying that <laughs> we will be talking about his movies and we may be giving away plot details so if you haven't seen it, all the scorsese movies we're talking about or you hear one that you're not familiar with yet that you want to see just a note spoilers we're not calling it again so uh, one note on this, because Jodie Foster was actually 12 years old, the same age as her oh, okay. character. There were some scenes in the movie that she was not legally allowed to do that were a little bit more explicit. So Connie Foster, her 19-year-old sister, was cast as her body double for the more racy scenes. Hmm. There's a little bit of trivia there. So New York, New York then. New York, <laughs> New York. Is that the musical? No. The, the last waltz. Nice. They named it twice. Ah. Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I haven't watched it. An egotistical saxophone player and a young singer meet on VJ Day and embark on a strained and rocky romance, even as their careers begin a long uphill climb. Wait. Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli as a couple. Not something I would have ever picked up. Especially on BJ Day. I don't want to see that. <laughs> no, thank you. So, Josh, Last Waltz, have you seen that? <laughs> that's a documentary about the band. I have not seen The Last Waltz. Uh, I'm not. American Boy. I'm not entirely sure I haven't seen it, actually, but I don't remember for sure. But it's a, I, I, wait, am I thinking of the same thing? Probably not. Hold on. Yeah, about the band. It's a final concert yep. of the band. I was right. Okay. American Boy, a profile of Stephen Prince. Don't, Brings question. Don't know who who is Stephen Prince? It was wasn't answered for us because none of us saw it. <laughs> He's I'm an American wondering. boy. I know that. And I looked it up on IMDb, and it says, add a plot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they don't know let's, either. Let's do that. <laughs> if IMDb doesn't know, how are we going to know? Someone can I write a, Does that mean I can write a plot in there? I don't I think, think you should. I so, I so want to do that. I want to make it about aliens and cows. Why don't, we just, <laughs> why don't we implore all of our viewers to go in and add a plot to that? In Guam? Yes. <laughs> Never? American Boy, profile of Stephen Prince. Everybody, go out there and write a plot for that one. On I hear that's how Michael Bay got started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Raging Bull. Wait, you said Michael Bay. Sorry. This is no, one Raging I've always wanted to see, and I still have not seen it. <laughs> well, I'm with you on that. So Raging Bull is another Scorsese-Robert De Niro collaboration uh, about the boxer Jake LaMotta, who basically... He's a violent guy, and the only time he can be himself is basically in a boxing ring because he's barely restrained, barely holding it together, and he pretty much wants to beat the fuck out of everybody all the time. He's a giant asshole is what he is. Basically. <laughs> Pucker up. I had a hard time really getting behind a character that I just intensely disliked. <laughs> 
I don't think you're supposed to like him. I think the issue is is that he's a guy that is rewarded in his professional career for behaving in a way that when he acts that way with his friends and family, his whole life falls apart. Right. So I mean, because he, he doesn't wants... know how to stop being the person he is in the ring. Exactly. In real life, yeah. And that's kind of the overriding theme is that he doesn't he he wants to be loved, but the thing that gives him the biggest emotional high is acting the way he does in the ring. So he doesn't know how to turn that off, and it just pretty much fucks up his life. It makes him paranoid. It makes him jealous, uh, angry all the time. An asshole. Raging, you would say. Yes. <laughs> or an asshole is another way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe so, I don't want to see it now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the no, Joel. I mean, it's, it's well acted. I mean, everybody's great in it. But I mean, it's just you know one of the one of the. It's hard to make a whole movie about someone that that just is very hard to like. You know, I mean. You mean like uh, Jordan Belfort? Or or like um well yeah for you know or even um, <laughs> uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name the, the character in Silver Linings Playbook played by Bradley Cooper you know someone who just has a lot of really just negative sharp edges it's hard to make a whole movie about somebody like that if you don't give them any kind of they're not have any redeeming qualities. qualities there you go yeah I guess the point I was trying to make is that that's a, kind of a theme for course Scorsese's career is that his protagonists aren't always heroes and there's sometimes people you're supposed to actively dislike right but usually I mean even even like you know Travis Bickle had you know parts of his personality that were not awful I mean you know and you know there well, were just very few you know redeeming qualities in, in Jake LaMotta it seems I mean look at the way he treated Jodie Foster I mean he he was a uh, he was a a good his heart was in the right place as far as she was concerned just his his motives were right. were not that's what, I mean. that's what I'm saying it's like I mean and then we never got anything like that from you know Jake LaMotta during Raging Bull yeah because I mean you know that he would have pretty much I mean he was there he would have taken care of and protected her and at any cost but yet <clears throat> yeah he was yeah <laughs> violent anyway yes so and now it seems like he has a uh, a change going from Raging Bull and these sad movies to the King of Comedy. That of course has got to be an uplifting, happy movie, right, Joel? Uh, I would. I, I love movies from. Well, let's just say the seventies through the very early part of the eighties. I have a, an affinity for just a very certain kind of movie, and this falls into that category. It's it's a dark comedy um, about a Robert De Niro plays a, a comedian or a well, I should say, an aspiring comedian who. Um, basically resorts to stalking his idol played by Jerry Lewis, who's a late night talk show host um, and ends up, if I remember correctly, ends up kidnapping him to basically, he wants him to hear his monologue because he wants to impress a girl that he likes. It's a really dark comedy. It's kind of out of character for Scorsese as well as for De Niro, but it's so well done. And Jerry Lewis is spot on. I mean, you know, Jerry Lewis, you think of the old movies where he was, you know, lady, that whole bit. But then as he got older and he kind of fell into who he really was, uh, you know, he had a lot of good intentions, but a lot of people see him as being kind of this a-hole. And I don't know. It's He's perfectly cast. The whole movie just, it's really, really well done. And if you've never seen it before, I highly recommend it. If you like dark comedies a la kind of death to smoochy, that sort of thing. It, oh, okay. It's maybe not quite that far off the mark, but it's, it's really good. Uh, I'm a fan. And then after that, he did. After, oh, I have seen this. <laughs> Whoa. Adam, add your name. I will. I have seen it a long time ago, though. Have you, uh, again, with the dark comedy 
uh, thing. I saw this back when I worked at the video store back in 1990. This being After Hours? After Hours, yes. (laughs) Sorry. Well, I thought I said that, didn't I say that? Oh, After Hours, 1985, dark comedy. Again. An ordinary word processor. (laughs) Job that does not (laughs) exist anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, Has a worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho whom he met that evening at a coffee shop. That makes sense now that you're saying it's uh, it used to be a job. I had this image. It was Clippy the paperclip. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It starring Cheech and Chong were both in it. They're all different. A lot lot of little, um, oh, hey, there's that guy type scenes. Griffin Dunn played Paul Hackett, the... uh, the main character with all the weird stuff happening to I think Rosanna Arquette was a girl that he was going to go see. Uh, it's if I remember remembering it correctly, it was one of those w- w- wacky happenings. I'm trying to get from point A to point B, but everything seems to be going against my way to actually make it happen, but a lot darker. Okay, so kind of a, a funny thing happened on the way to blah blah blah, but in this case, it's like somebody's life gets really messed up on the way. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, <clears throat> but, um, Whereas hey, what was it? would be like somebody spills ice cream on you. This one would be like somebody gets stabbed and mugged <laughs> yeah. with ice cream on them <laughs> while eating ice cream. Yeah. Right. Well, and after that, he directed, I'm the only one that watched this, huh? Amazing stories. He did an episode of the Steven Spielberg TV show that was out in 1986, which if you guys get a chance to, Amazing Stories is I've seen a bunch great. Of them. I may have seen that one. I'm not hundred yeah. percent. Uh, the one that he did was called mirror mirror and it, I, I watched it, and let's see, George, Sam Watterson is in it. Ooh, I like Sam Watterson. Yeah, he uh, plays the author, Jordan Manmouth, and Dick Cavett is in there, too. And it's one of those uh, guy is real dick to everybody, starts seeing things in the mirrors. He, every time he looks in a reflective surface, he sees this uh, Phantom of the Opera type guy coming up behind him to strangle him. Oh, shit, I've seen this one. Yeah, th- yes. this is what Tim Robbins actually plays the Phantom, and uh, like, yeah, I, he's constantly trying to avoid mirrors. And if I remember right, he's got to avoid all reflective surfaces, including like reflective sunglasses, and because well, and uh, again with spoilers, even eyeballs. Yeah, because the guy's just getting closer and closer, and he's terrified of what's going to happen once he reaches him. Yeah, so event eventually, um, he sees, looks into Helen Shavers, is his uh, ex-wife. Oh, I'm assuming yeah. they never. Really- uh, oh, he looks into her eyes and sees the phantom coming up behind him to strangle him and then begins to act like someone is strangling him. She freaks out. He's freaking out. And then Sam Watterson turns into Tim Robbins and jumps out a window. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, Tim Robbins plays the phantom. Right. So he's all done up with... And I he, was wondering what, why I, he turned into him. That's the thing. Is Apparently, I, was, I wasn't I was sure it was going to happen either because I didn't recall seeing this one for you know because I watched it. I haven't seen it for years. But apparently, it was the he's a real jerk to everybody and this is turning him into what he really is type of thing. Oh. I guess that was the, the, the moral of the story. But... He's not really a jerk to anybody. That's the thing, is that he's he's on the Dick Cavett show, and he's like, oh, I don't believe in ghosts and that sort of thing. I just write books about them. And then he's in the, what, he's in the uh, limo, and he's talking to the limo driver, and it's a nice, you know, he's having a conversation with him, and the only person he's actually a jerk to is this uh, kid who shows up on his doorstep asking him to look at his, look at my manuscript and sign my book for me. And he's like, you're always following me around. Get out of my house, blah, blah, blah. And he yells at him because the guy's sleeping on his front doorstep. 
that, which is the way anybody would have reacted. Right. So yeah. he's. I mean, it really didn't make much sense. Well, but mean, now, talk- maybe if you're if you are a ghost, that's a way of being a jerk to a ghost. You know, if you're like, hey, you don't exist, and he's like, hey, screw you, buddy. Well, I, I think also he was a horror writer, if I remember right. My recollections are even yeah. vaguer than yours. And uh, I know Stephen King did a bunch of stuff like this where the whole, like, if you're a horror writer and you fall too deep into your work, maybe the nightmares you create will start stalking you, that sort of story. Yeah, that's. I mean, and that's the thing. But he, I, I think the problem with this is that, first off, it's not really pronounced that this – this is what's happening. You really never get a feeling of like that. These are his phantoms coming to get him or everything that he really doesn't believe in is trying to show him that it exists. It's just these shadows and things that he sees in the mirror over his shoulders, over his shoulder. Um, I think the problem with this is that they've got Martin Scorsese doing television <laughs> and there are so many constraints on Scorsese on this show and a bad that script can't... is one of them and that script well yeah but I mean if you have a good director you good director can turn a bad script to something palatable yeah, not always I mean sometimes well, you know. yeah this one was actually who wrote this one oh Spielberg yeah see there you go hack what <laughs> <laughs> wow no this is right kind of it kind of sounds almost like it's like both of them are just phoning it in in a way you know because like this this sounds like a script that spielberg might have written when he was 15 and never really worked on it just be like yeah i'll just turn this into this whatever oh man this is gonna be great <laughs> that's kind of what it sounds like because it's just like nothing but weird plot holes and stuff and yeah, because it, it seems like it's kind of sandwiched in yeah, here. Yeah, it was like a fifteen-minute thing. They're just they're they're both just like yeah, whatever. Who cares? Let's just do it and get our money and get out of here. Aw, I guess. Yeah, cause, well, a- yeah. I mean, like I said, it was it's nineteen eighty-six television, but I I think the whole thing is that Scorsese really you know they're like hey, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, you remember you're on television, Martin. You can't do that. How about he meets this guy at the front door and then just beats the crap out of him? No, you can't do that. <laughs> Can he say fuck so, a lot? No, you can't. I'm just gonna sit over here. You guys just read the stuff. <laughs> All right. So there we go. Yay, Patrick. Yes. Are you the only one that's seen The Color of Money? Apparently. You know, huh. I, I'm sure I've seen it, but I really don't remember anything about it. I don't. It know. was it was I, probably the the first movie I've ever seen with Tom Cruise in it. I think, and then after this, I saw Risky Business. I just remember seeing this movie, and I mean. If I didn't know now that it's a Scorsese movie, I, I would never, ever say that this is directed by Scorsese. Just the thoughts of it in my head and remembering how, how the movie was, it just doesn't have a Scorsese vibe to it. No? Yeah. I mean, is it's, it it's a decent movie. It's, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, um, I don't know, for those of you that don't know, it's the sequel to the movie The Hustler with, with Jackie Gleason and Paul Newman. And Paul Newman plays the same, you know, Fast Eddie Felson. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. He plays the same character in both, and this is basically just about him later in life trying to take a, a, a good, cool, cool player under his wing and teach him how to be a good hustler and everything. Tom Cruise is basically the, the young kid who basically has too much of an ego to really learn anything from anybody. Okay. It's all about like, well, you know him growing up and learning how to be an actual hustler, not just a punk. Okay. I may want to see it now because I really like The Hustler. Yeah, that was a good I, mean, movie. I mean, it's not a bad movie at all, but I mean, it just doesn't feel like a, a Scorsese movie at all. Okay. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ. I've never seen it, but I remember the hoo-ha when it uh, was released. Oh, yeah. Oh, Big yeah. old hoopla. Yeah. And I don't think I – I didn't see it in 88. I don't think I watched it until probably like 95, I was, I was part of the people protesting this movie <laughs> back then. And look what happened. Look at me now. Right. I tried to watch this movie two different times in my life, and I can't get past the first half hour. It's just not good. It just really is just not good at all. I mean, 
I don't know if it eventually improves, but it's just it's so so bad in the first half hour that I just I can't get past it. Willem All Dafoe I- is just like. I mean, it's just, it's just so, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe how bad it is. It just feels, I mean, for the amount of talent in this movie, it feels like it's done by a community theater. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I mean, really, it's it just, it's, it was not good. Willem Dafoe plays Jesus. Yeah, yeah. see. That's your, uh, that's your first signal that something is off. Harvey Keitel is Judas. Yeah. See, and I Judas don't. Comes, call- and, and Judas, comes, and, and Jesus is building, he's the only carpenter, apparently, that will build crosses for the Romans to crucify people on. And it's all about him struggling with his inner demons of, you know, selling the crosses. And, and he gets these horrible headaches that just throw him to the ground. And it's just really just melodramatic crap. I don't know. I, all I remember when I saw it was that there had been so much hype by that point. I mean, this was many years later, but I mean, it had been so overly hyped and so much just negativity around it that I watched it and I was like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, yeah, it was, un, un- <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. I was going to say, unlike The Passion of the Christ, this was a movie that if if nobody had had protested it and brought it to people's attention, it wouldn't have made a million dollars. David Bowie is Pontius Pilate? This movie would not have made a million (laughs) dollars, honestly. Because, I mean, I'm watching this movie, and it feels almost like springtime for Hitler. In Germany. (laughs) Because I'm just like, there's no way they meant to make money on this movie. I mean, because it's just so bad. And, and and then like all the Christians got a hold of it and and just pumped it up and gave it so much press, you know, and they're all just like, well, shit, <laughs> that backfired. I don't know. I just found it to be really, like you said, it was melodramatic. It was long. The only thing I remember from it at all was the uh, there was like a weird freak out trippy something scene that happened at one point, and other than that, I just you just described I, a lot when of it was ended. I was like, I was like, that was a movie. Okay. You realize, next. You realize that you described you just described a lot of my dates I go on. It was long, like long and, boring, and, and weird boring. and trippy and and then it ended. And then it was just New York stories. <laughs> Nobody's seen it. Wasn't that nobody's seen it? I figured you would have seen it, isn't it? Um, Woody Allen. No, it's Martin Scorsese. No, but isn't a Woody New York stories? Uh, pretty, oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was directed by Woody Allen, Francis Ford Coppola, and uh, yeah, all three Mark of them Spencer. did it. Yeah, they all three okay. did a little. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. no, nobody's seen it. I don't keep moving. I don't from Goodfellas, that, so, yeah, move on. Oh, Goodfellas. Am I the only one that doesn't like Goodfellas? I think so. Yeah. You maybe because I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh my God, dude! <laughs> Have you seen a movie? Yeah, I'm not none of these. <laughs> <laughs> he's too busy. He's too busy watching now. He's too busy watching Justin and Kelly over and over. To Justin from Kelly, thank you. Whatever. I just want to point out who is the one that corrected you on that exclamation point. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so, yes. Uh, Goodfellas is a story of a character named Henry Hill, who his entire life he wanted to grow up to be a gangster, like from a, uh, from his childhood. That was his dream. And he gets a start in a robbery with uh, two guys from the neighborhood named Jimmy and Tommy. And uh, they want to uh, move up within the organization, basically. Uh, they decide their way of moving up is to kill off everybody else who was involved in the robbery and the three of them start moving up in the mob hierarchy. So he's got to deal with his two crazy friends while trying to maintain his positions in the standard violence and other dangers that everybody who's in the mafia has to deal with. It's another uh, Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, and his famous line, which I was lampooning at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. So funny how, Funny like a clown, like I'm here to amuse you. 
And it's so funny that they, you know, he even says right then, he's like, hey, you're going to break under pressure. And that's exactly what happens later in the movie. <laughs> or maybe that's only funny to me. Only it funny is. to you. So, Joel, you don't like this. I don't. I, uh, I I think this may have been another film where, you know, Scorsese seems to have a lot of films in his catalog that uh, get a lot of press, positive or negative. And it gets to the point where it just becomes overblown. And I think I watched it too soon after the um, just kind of overpouring of love for it. And I think it still has a lot of that going on. And I just I didn't get it. I mean, I just I watched it and I was like, it was a, again, it was a, it was a movie. It was in two hours of my life that is over now. And I just I didn't I couldn't get into the characters. I didn't care about what happened to him. I just found it to be really meh. I, I will fully like admit um, the second half of the movie suffers compared to the first half of the movie. But I think this is an, a great, great movie. It's just I think the characters are fully developed, really. I mean, I think I, I, I think you, you can easily get to like them. Especially Ray Liotta, since you get the you know all the insights into his mind. Yeah, I, honestly, this was one of my favorite mob movies outside of The Godfather until a film we get to in the second half of this show, a much more recent movie. A uh, little bit of interesting uh, facts about this. this: is one of the few films ever to get someone kicked out of the witness protection program. Because <laughs> after the premiere, the actual Henry Hill revealed himself, and the government was mad. This it's like this is not how witness protection works, and kicked them <laughs> out of the program. <laughs> you don't tell me how this works. Uh, also, according to Henry Hill, uh, the biggest difference between Pesci's uh, portrayal of the real Tommy DeSimone, it was basically accurate aside from the fact that the real Tommy DeSimone was a huge guy. Uh, the You Think I'm Funny scene that we've talked about uh, was actually a, a sort of an improvisation. It was a, a story that Joe Pesci was uh, telling to Martin Scorsese about a time when he was working in a restaurant and he told a mobster that he was funny and the guy got really mad at him. So Scorsese said, that's awesome. Use it. You and Leota can improvise the scene. And he didn't tell any of the other actors what was going to happen at the end of the scene. So all of the reactions are genuine. Cool. I did not know that. I'm going to have to watch that scene. Yeah. No, you need to watch the whole movie. I'm just telling you. It's, it's a okay, great movie. I'll, Don't listen to Joel. Okay. Cape Fear, a remake. Saw it in the theater. Saw it in the theater. It was the introduction I, of Juliet Lewis to the world. Yes. For that, really? I'm grateful. And the world has never been the same. In a good way. She's just, I don't, she's like, like I don't, I don't know, understand how, how I find her so hot. Cause she's really not, there's just something about, <laughs> I, I don't either. Now, Mike, so anyway, did you this see the original the, with Robert Mitchum? Yes, I had seen, I had seen the original with Gregory Peck and uh, Robert Mitchum in what I think is one of Robert Mitchum all, is an all around badass in this one. Just, okay. So you did see this movie. I, no, no, I did see. Oh, okay. I saw both of them. I saw the original. And I saw. Yeah, the, I haven't uh, seen Cape Fear. I'm the one that is out on that one. Yeah, I I went to actually went to go see this because I had seen the 1962 version and I I thought it was great. Again, De Niro in this one, uh, he plays uh, Max Cady, who's coming back to get his revenge on Sam Bowden, who's played by Nick Nolte with Jessica Lange, Juliet Lewis, Jodan Baker, uh, and Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck are also in this as uh, I think Lieutenant, one of the cops. They have uh, cameos in there. But um, no, great movie. Robert De Niro plays the revenge crazy to the hilt in this, especially the whole scene at the very end where the boat is sinking. And I mean, very tense, very uh, driving movie. I mean, it's a great story. 
So I don't think there's a good way that he could have screwed it up anyway. So. One of the things I love about it is that uh, Katie, in addition to just like De Niro's performance, Katie has a legitimate axe to grind here because basically his lawyer knows he's a piece of shit, knows that he deserves to be locked away where he can't do any harm to society, but realizes in the specific case he's defending him, he happens to be innocent. So he has a choice to make. There's a document that proves that his client is innocent, but if he lets anybody know about it, he's going to unleash this man on society. He realizes his client can't read, so he hides the document. His client goes away for 12 years and somehow finds out. That kind of backfires. Yeah. Why would you tell anybody? (laughs) I would just destroy that piece of paper if you're going to go that route. That never happened. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I saw this in the theater in, in high school, and uh, I remember just being really impressed by it. And I watched it again later, and it, it, it held up. I mean, it's a very intense movie. And uh, the way that Scorsese lays it out, I mean, it just the, the pressure builds until that last sequence. And I mean, talk about being on the edge of your seat. I mean, it's it's an extremely well done movie. And uh, everybody that's in it just puts in top notch performance across the board. It's one of, one of my favorites of the list. I think that we have on here, honestly. Yeah. Have you seen the original one, Joel? I have not, but I've, I knew you must have for some reason I had a feeling. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's on my long you, list of things to watch someday. Okay. So age of the innocence, nobody has seen no. but that has Daniel day Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer and Winona Ryder. And in fact, my wife said, don't watch age of innocence. You'll hate it. Oh, okay. Well, there so, you go. So she had seen this. It's a period piece about uh, countesses and counts and high society and a lot of drinking tea and sexual tension. It's PG. Well, it's 1993 PG, so right. that means some boobies. <laughs> uh, some. He did a documentary, King of Ads, A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese Through American Movies, another documentary. And he did A History of Michael Jackson. He's a fan. Then Was a fan. Casino. Oh, boy. Oh, what can I say about Casino? Nothing, because I'm the only one who hasn't seen that. <laughs> well, here, let me let me drive them for a second. What can I say about Casino? Uh, it was about as good as Goodfellas. I, I did not like this. was a oh, long God. exercise in futility. Sharon Stone was bad. It just was not. I, I didn't like it. I'm sorry. I, I understand you guys sad. think this is great, but I, no, it's no, no, not. Okay, I, I will agree with you on the Sharon Stone. I think she is the weakest link in this whole movie. I think her character is the weakest link in this whole movie. I think it's ridiculous how they... Okay, uh, let me back up a little bit. Um, I actually know the nephew of... Um, Lefty, Sharon Stone? Of Lefty Rosenthal, the man that um, Ace Rosen... Whatever, what is it? Ace Rothstein... The man that Ace Rothstein was was written about, like like the guy who lived this life that became the movie Casino. He's an actual person, and I used to be very good friends with his nephew. And so he like kind of corroborated what was true and what wasn't in Casino. And basically, Sharon Stone, she was a conniving bitch, but she was nowhere near as bad as they put her in this movie. Because if she was that bad, there's no way that he would have put up with her. He wouldn't risk everything he had on that crazy of a woman. That's what his nephew told me, at least. So Yeah, I, it doesn't entirely surprise me that if you didn't like Goodfellas that you wouldn't like this, because uh, they're both ri- based on books written by the same guy. Uh, Nicholas Pileggi wrote uh, crime novels, and at least three of them were turned into films. He, he did Goodfellas, uh, Casino, and American Gangster. So. I've seen that one. I enjoyed that one with Denzel Washington, right? Uh, yeah, American Gangster was not a uh, Scorsese film. It was a Ridley Scott. Is that the one I'm thinking of, though, with Russell yeah. Crowe? Russell yeah. Crowe, Denzel Washington. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. And okay. I Mitch Pelleggi. He was on uh, The X-Files. Yes, not the same guy. Skinner. 
Yes. Okay. Then after that, he does Kundun. Kundun? Kundun? Kundun, yeah. Kundun. From childhood to adulthood, Tibet's 14th Dalai Lama deals with Chinese oppression and other problems. <laughs> I, I, wanted, I wanted to say one last thing about Casino. Before Starring we Martin Scorsese as Kundun. But I was going to say one last I thing mean, about Casino before we move on. Um, the character of uh, that um, Joe Pesci played in Casino was a real guy, too. And his name was Tony Spilatro. He was a mob hitman. And he was actually, unlike the other character from um, from God from Goodfellas, he actually was a tiny guy. He was about Joe Pesci's size. His nickname, they called him the Ant. He was Tony the Ant Spilatro. And they talked. To, he is like infamous in mob lore about because he, he was one of the meanest, nastiest hitmen out there. And the, the scene in that movie where they put a guy's head in a vice and squeezed it—that's an actual true story. Yikes. Yeah, because they um they they caught they they found out this one guy was an informant and they wanted and, and they wanted to find out who he knew and who was in on it with him and all this kind of stuff. So they started torturing him to find out who the who the other informants were. And they put his head in a damn vice after stabbing him, after burning him, after punching him and beating the crap out of him. And they squeezed his head until one of his eyes popped out, and he still wouldn't give anybody else up. And so, <laughs> and so they just ended up stabbing him with an ice pick and killing him because he just wouldn't give up anybody. And Spilatro said, "Well, that is the toughest son of bitch I've." ever seen in my life and that's a compliment <laughs> right there exactly was dead to not hear wow it. yep <laughs> all right so after that he does well we did kundun bringing out the dead where his cousin finally gets in the gig <laughs> right this is true yes starring nicholas cage and the beautiful and talented patricia arquette and, and also and the beautiful and talented bing yes Rains. that's what i was going to say <laughs> I actually <laughs> That's love where I this, thought Joel was going. this total cast. I mean, you've got John Goodman, Tom Seasmore, uh, even Mark Anthony, I, who uh, the, say the what singer? you will about. Yeah. Say what you will about his music. He's actually a pretty decent actor. Yeah. He's very good in this movie, too. I don't really have an opinion of him as a singer, actually. Hmm. I nothing him. <laughs> well, this is a Manhattan ambulance paramedic overworked and haunted by visions of his failures fights to keep a tenuous grip on his clarity. So they followed Nick Cage around for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yep. it, he uh, he captures the I think the lifestyle of that job. Uh, the characters are all I mean, they're they're probably a little bit more of a hyper characterization of a certain type, but they're all really well done by the people. And John Goodman especially is is a highlight in the movie. Um, he always is. But I mean, the yeah, he steals the show in most movies, but that, that's he. Actually. actually, we should, especially uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But anyway, um, I I really enjoyed this movie, too. I, I, I mean, being a Patricia Arquette fan, of course, I'm going to like it anyway. But I think it was a departure from everything else he had done in a lot of ways. And it was a much more visual movie. Um, I mean, there was a lot of story going on, but the, he made the visual tell the story as much as the dialogue did. Because, you know, here's these guys that are sleep deprived and going through this horrible stuff. And I don't know, he just, he made it so you could feel it as you were watching it. And, and plus the soundtrack's really good. I don't know. It's just a good movie all the way around. I'm a fan. Yeah. There's a, a really cool sequence, uh, where Nicholas Cage is trying to save the life of a character named Rose and it looks all unnatural and sped up and weird. And the way that was actually shot is all of the physical actions that were taken for the scene were performed in reverse so they like sped them up and showed them backwards to give that sort mm. of like sense of chaos and everything coming apart at the seams and it really works. Yeah. This is an underrated movie that a lot of not a lot of people have seen and has since kind of gotten shuffled away in in a dark corner and I don't know why because it's it's actually a really good movie. You know what? I bet it's because of uh Nicolas Cage. It might be. 
got that stigma. He's not punching it. bears or fighting bees, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's right. another movie about New York in the middle of the night, which is another kind of theme in Scorsese's career. True, but there's no mobsters, and that bit with Rose is pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. All right. So shall we take a break here, and when we get back, we'll talk about uh, Scorsese from 2001 and on. Sounds great. I do it. All right. You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, then who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Hello, folks. We are back after it's, a bit of a hiatus. It seems like we've been on a break for days. I know. <laughs> I feel so rested. <laughs> yeah, it's actually Saturday morning due to technical, a, uh, difficulties. technical difficulties and the fact that my Skype recorder is shite. We are now here on a new Saturday morning show, so the rest of it. We're going to discuss Martin Scorsese now again. <laughs> yes. yes. It's like time travel for us. <laughs> but not for you. So, we're back talking about Scorsese. Let's see, we're talking from uh, 2001 up. Yes, sir. Yes. Well, right off the bat at 2001, he had a couple documentaries. One called My Voyage to Italy, and another one called Concert for New York City. Now, Josh, I think you, you knew what the Voyage to Italy one was? Well, yeah, I mean, from the title, you'd think it was just him doing his vo- vacation photos. But it turns <laughs> out that uh, My Voyage to Italy was a documentary based on his exploration through Italian cinema and all of his influences from classical Italian directors so i haven't actually seen it but that actually sounds pretty cool yeah that was the moment when he looked at adam sandler's career and said wait a minute i could just go on vacation and make a movie (laughs) no that was called my voyage to shittily that was different Talking about his current career. Oh, okay. To shittily. Well, Adam Sandler, not Scorsese. Oh, yeah, not Scorsese. That was a commentary on Sandler. 2002, we arrive at Gangs of New York. Which, Which, uh, to keep with the theme, I have not seen. (laughs) I unabashedly love this movie. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Wait. He's trying out something different. Yeah, I told you I was going to try out liking this movie. I reversed the opinion. Let the boy stay in the well. (laughs) I'm flip flopping. No, I do. I I do not like this movie. Um, I just I think it's I don't know. Um, I think Cameron Diaz is horribly cast. I think everything but the cinematography is just over the top and ridiculous. And and as much as people love the Bill the Butcher character, I just I I thought it was just over the top ridiculous scenery chewing by Daniel Day Lewis. And I just thought this movie. I had so much high hopes for this movie when I heard about it and read about it and everything. And then I saw it and I was just really disappointed. Too much expectation? Maybe. You don't have to sound sad about it. No, I'm just, I'm, I, I'd never even really thought about that. I mean, that. That was interesting. Maybe I did build it up too much. I've been working on my defense. No, that's not true. <laughs> um, me personally, uh, this is, uh, and I've said this in public forums on uh, several other occasions, but for me, it's Daniel Day-Lewis's best performance, and I think Bill the Butcher is one of the, the greatest characters created on the cinema screen to date, um, along there with you know Carl Childers from Sling Blade or some other classics. I just I think that... He he ran away with the movie. This is one of those movies where the first time I saw it, I just completely, my jaw was on the floor and I just fell in love with it. And it's not the movie itself so much. It's just his performance that really brought it home and to the point where I had a dream about it the, the night after I saw it and I immediately ran out and bought it the next day. So, I mean, for me, it's it's probably, you know, one of Scorsese's best. I don't know if I would say it's his best, but it's pretty close. I'm a fan. Well, and I understand uh, both of your perspectives because I do think that the world that was created both visually and just watching it 
was a world that left me spellbound. And I understand how the over-the-top nature of Daniel Day-Lewis's character as Bill the Butcher could kind of break the immersion. For But for me, he was kind of what sold me on the realist realism of the rest of the world, where it's almost like when you try and open negotiations with way more than you expect to get, So and then you ask for something more reasonable. It's like, well, okay, maybe I don't buy Bill the Butcher, but without Bill the Butcher, I'm not sure I buy the rest of the gangs of New York world. And if I say, okay, he's maybe a little a step too far, he sold the rest of the world for me. So, And I don't think the movie works without him. What do you so, think, Mike? Oh, wait, you well, didn't see it. No, I didn't see it. But I will tell you, when I saw the stills for it, I honestly thought it was Newsies. <laughs> I, was I, ex- see that. I was expecting it to be a musical. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as the knives come out, a little bit of a surprise there. Yeah, shit. Da, 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 Once da, the armor started getting da, da, chopped da, da, off, Mike's yeah. like, where's the music? <laughs> Why are there no dancing? <laughs> where's Christian Bale to seize the day? Newsies so joke. Cu- couple of oh, things. Oh, I didn't get that. that. Okay, sorry. Couple of things about Gangs of New York. The uh, names of all of the gangs were actually names of gangs historically in New York during the period. Um, also, this was Maybe not. Why they the, were so goofy? Because they were real. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, they they would never do something like that. But yeah, yeah, they if, you, did. if you wrote that movie, yeah, not historically correct, you would never come up with those gang names. You're like, that's just. Stupid. <laughs> and Gangs of New York was going to be one of Scorsese's. Uh, movies in the late 1970s originally gangs of new york was cast with dan Aykroyd as amsterdam valen which is dicaprio's character and john belushi was cast as bill the butcher um and the whole project pretty much then, fell then apart. yeah then there would be singing yeah unfortunately <laughs> this uh, was put on the back burner it was set back by the death of john belushi so they tried to do a cast reshuffle with mel gibson as amsterdam valen and willem defoe as the butcher but it uh, just couldn't come together. Hmm. And thank goodness for that. I don't you know. know I, what a horrible movie it would be with Mel Gibson and Willem Dafoe. Oh, I agree. Role. I'd kind of like see, to see I, the alternate universe, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, Gangs of New York. Oh, They probably would have cast Andy McDowell as Cameron Diaz's character. Well, probably would have been Gilbert Radner back then. But I just, I can't, I don't, and, and, and I know that comedians are capable of turning in amazing performances. To, to bring back to the Sandler reference earlier, Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love is phenomenal. I mean, he he's amazing, and it's a, and it's a very serious role. Roles. So I'm sure Belushi and Aykroyd could have pulled something off. It just would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, had John Belushi lived and had this been the breakout role for the two of them to turn their career in the more dramatic direction, like, what kind of world would we live in where they, this was the kind of the bridge from comedy to more serious projects, and maybe throughout the 1980s, we've got all these dramas with Aykroyd or Belushi. Like, yeah, like Michael like, Keaton. Yeah, or yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah, Tom yep. Hanks. I mean, a, a, in that situation, you're trying to explain to people that the Tom Hanks did um, Bachelor Party. Cross-dressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he started off cross-dressing and he did the movie Bachelor Party. We didn't know that stuff. He was supposed to be this crazy wild guy, and now he's saving Private Ryan's and all that. Speaking yeah, of William, Jim Carrey tried to do the same thing, and people just wouldn't let him. Yeah, for they refused to see him in a in a real movie, and it, which is a shame because he's actually a pretty good actor. Yeah. Oh, he is. Most most comics are actually very good actors because it's a hell of a lot easier to make somebody cry than it is to make them laugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look at Bill Murray, too. I mean, he made yeah, the crossover. You, yeah, because if you can make somebody laugh, I mean, you, you could tap into people's emotions, then and you make, it, make them cry is easy after you can make them laugh. Yeah. Well, sure, I've never been able to punch somebody until they started laughing. <laughs> 
not to say we haven't tried. Yeah. <laughs> Today. But uh, Willem Dafoe, that reminds me of something i got to do this weekend. I had plans to uh, make a whole bunch of copies of William Dafoe's face and put them all over my brother's car and bedroom. Like, Why? What do you mean? What? <laughs> I don't have, understand the question. I, does, Ma- does Matthew have, have an version? Well, no, it's going to gonna be William that Dafoe? it's going to be that creepy William Dafoe smile, that one that yeah. where he's in the back of the taxi cab. I'm just going to cut the face out and like put it in the shower, you know, <laughs> and put it in the drawer where his toothbrush is, and you know, I, I was think that's pretty funny. I was you planning hide on every couple put it on every one of his hangers, like uh, in Better Off Dead. Well, and my one, my big one, one was going to be no, I was going to put a little bitty one on the rearview mirror of his car, so when it looks in the rearview mirror, it looks like William Dafoe's in the back seat. And then actually have Willem Dafoe in the back seat. Uh, what you a got- twist. <laughs> See, if you do that, you also gotta hide like three or four of them extremely well so he doesn't find them for months. Oh, he yeah. thinks it's all Willem over. Defoe's? Yeah. Like, ah, I thought this was over. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I do that with googly eyes. I hide them all around the house. And if he has any like hidden like porn magazines, like glue the face to all the girls' <laughs> heads. Like, uh, no, he claims he doesn't do that. Does anybody what? have porn magazines anymore? No. Oh. No, anyway. actually. All right. So, back to, back to <laughs> Scorsese. Somehow we got on porn. Uh, from, from Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> From 2003 through early 2004, we have a series of music videos and documentaries again, including The Blues in 2003, uh, Michael Jackson's Number Ones, uh, a video, and then Lady by the Sea, The Statue of Liberty, until we hit 2004's major studio release of The Aviator, which I have not seen, Mike has not seen, but Pat and Joel have. Yes. Yay, the Aviator. <laughs> the Aviator, <laughs> as Pat called it. Uh, I, I'm I'm a fan of this film. I own it, and um, I was not sure what to expect when I initially saw it because I, I mean, everybody knows, you know, the kind of the the stories about. Um, you know, Howard Hughes as a man, you know, he's kind of legendary for his weird awkwardness and social problems and mental instabilities. But to see it put on film and, and to, to look at, you know, here's Leonardo DiCaprio who just completely sells the character, even though he really doesn't embody him like physically, in my opinion. But, um, I, I was thoroughly impressed. I really like this movie. Yeah, sorry. Um, I I didn't know if you were done or not. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about about the Aviator being about Howard Hughes, you know, as a guy who uh, lived in Vegas for a little while. If you live in Vegas, you really get to to hear a lot of funny stories about Howard Hughes and such, you know, because he lived in Las Vegas for so long, buying up hotels and just pissing people off over and over, like with his dealings, because he really didn't care what anybody thought about what he bought and what he did and what anything. And when you got that much money and that much, you know, that few fucks, you tend to piss off a lot of people. So there's a lot of stories flying around about Howard Hughes in Vegas and it was just fun to watch a movie all about him because uh, he's a very very interesting person someone who is rich enough to pretty much do and have whatever he wants and he gets trapped by his own mind into living like a prisoner just because he's just so fucked up mentally. Well, I, uh, and this was, and this was yeah. the first time I start. I, I'm sorry, I was just, real quick. This was when I started turning my opinion around on uh, Leonardo DiCaprio too. Was this was this was one of the movies that got me to where I actually like him because I used to hate him. Huh. Yeah. And now I love him. He's one of my favorites. But yeah, I couldn't stand him back in the day. And this was one of the movies that started turning me around on him. Well, I think one of the things that I really liked about this was showing the the sheer, like you said, it, just that he had enough money, could do what he wanted. Um, you know, it goes into 
the production of Hell's Angels, which was is kind of widely considered as like the first big blockbuster action movie. Um, I mean, it, it was to the point where he literally had enough airplanes for the film that he owned that were he had enough to have his own air force. And there's a you know classic story about it, and they they portrayed in the in the film where he started out as a silent film, and he pretty much got through the majority of the production, and then the jazz singer came out, and it was like the first time people really had seen a talkie and he got so like i mean it, it just obsessed him so much that he reshot the entire film yeah, again scrapped the old movie and reshot it all <laughs> as a talkie because that's the way things were going and he you know he wasn't going to be outdone and uh you know he went on to to make several other classic movies um and uh, and so you know he he had the skills and the talent but i mean that's that's just sheer ridiculousness to do that and i mean you know it's been done since then like where the wild things are spike jones that happened sort of for different reasons but the other thing that i thought was interesting was they kind of show his slow descent into madness and one of my favorite parts is when he's he's in the hotel or his house or whatever i can't think of where he was at this point um and he's talking about how he needs to have chocolate chip cookies and they have to have only 10 chocolate chips and none of them on the edge you know only 10 chips only 10 10 chips and none can, none can be touching the edges you know and it's like how insane is this man that he's that specific and did these people ever mess with him i wonder like, no, if you brought him the wrong thing, you, I mean, you were liable to get fired. So. Well, he kept so his pee in a jar, and yeah, they didn't really fuck with him too much. <laughs> he had a thing about milk, and uh, and it, it, there's the the famous Simpsons bit with uh, Mr. Burns when he has the hotel, uh, the <laughs> casino, and he's wearing you know the uh, the, the Kleenex, Kleenex boxes, boxes on his feet, yeah. right? You know, and that yeah. and that's all kind of true. I mean, that's all based on Howard Hughes and the insanity he went into. So I'm I'm a big fan. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The Departed. Oh, wait, real quick, before we move on, I just want to say uh, one quick thing about The Aviator is uh, Kate Blanchett was amazing as Catherine Hepburn. Oh, God, yes. I, we didn't say that the last time, but absolutely. No, we did, but it, it just dawned on me I should say that because she was amazing in that movie. Anyway. You are 100% correct. She got it down pat. Speaking yeah. of The Departed, uh, remake of a, a Hong Kong uh, triad uh, gangster movie called Infernal Affairs, which incidentally had two additional sequels after the original, which I don't know quite how they did that, but anyway. Well, right. And, well, and the interesting thing about that is that Scorsese didn't know he was actually doing a remake of another film until he'd already agreed to direct it. And I'm really glad because that implies that he might not have done this film if he'd known. And this movie in 2006 is not only my personal favorite Scorsese film, but one of my favorite movies of all time. And wasn't it a big, I mean, as far as like success goes, it was one of his most successful in many ways, right? It was his most successful financially. His number one. And it was the only movie he won an Oscar for, too. So best director. Once again, this is one that Patrick, Joel and I have seen. Mike hasn't gotten to. But Mike, if there's one movie that we've talked about that uh, you're going to go see. Bringing out the dead. (laughs) No, (laughs) The Departed. Yeah, this is the one that you guys talked it up for me uh, on Thursday before. Yeah, it's it sounds like an amazing, amazing movie. Well, I mean, as much as I love Goodfellas, I still would tell you if you're going to see any one of these movies you haven't seen, see this. This is this is his uh, this is his masterpiece, really. Uh, I mean, if you look at the cast list, it's, you know, it's got DiCaprio, it's got um, Jack Nicholson, it's got Mark Wahlberg, it's got um, Matt Damon. It's got Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. 
I mean, the cast list is ridiculous, and every single one of them is at their is at their best. They 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 do their A game, and nobody phones it in. And the 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 script is amazing. So many twists and turns. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but one of the deaths in this movie is one of the most shocking things. Of, it, 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 when it when it happened, I was just blown away. I was like, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> yeah. The um thing that I think is really interesting about this is it's not a new story for either cinema or for Scorsese in particular. We've seen the whole like undercover cop in the mob. We've certainly seen a lot of crime fiction on screen by Scorsese, but we've never seen it quite like this where we have a mafia guy who has infiltrated the police and a police officer undercover in that particular mafia in Boston. And these are two guys from the same neighborhood who know each other, who grew up together. Uh, maybe they didn't know each other well, but they're put on a collision course with one another where suddenly at about the same time, the cops become aware that they have a mole and the mob becomes aware that they have a rat. And the two guys need to find out the identity of each other or basically they're dead. So there's this big game of cat and mouse where each is trying to figure out who is the double agent. Yeah, and, and whoever solves the riddle last is the dead one. <laughs> right. That's that's Hong Kong cinema for you. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect performance with Jack Nicholson as Frank Costello. Uh, he is a sympathetic guy. You like him, but at the same time, you realize he is an evil fuck. They, they yeah. make no bones about it. It's like you like this guy, but you recognize he is dangerous and you have sympathy for the cops wanting to put him away and take him down. Yeah. He's almost like a like a swear engine kind of character. Yeah, where you, you don't want to like him, but you just do. <laughs> I mean, and, and Jack Nicholson is one of my, if not my favorite actor, and this is just one of those performances where you just like love to just sit and just watch him work because yeah, he's cause, so I mean, good. Jack Nicholson is so Jack Nicholson now that I mean, he has a lot of roles where he just almost just plays himself reading somebody else's words, and this is a this is a performance where he decides, you know what, I'm just going to dust off the chops and act the shit out of this. <laughs> yeah, and he does. Yep. All right. So yes, recommended. Watch this movie if you don't if you don't see any other Scorsese movie in your life, see this one. And great dialogue from Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> it's actually true. I mean, yeah. this is one, well, one of, of his my, best. One of my, yeah, a, a line that I use myself from this movie um, that I use in my professional life on a couple occasions when I've managed bars <laughs> and stuff. Oh, sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one interesting thing. This is another one where the cast almost wasn't the cast. Originally, this was planned with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in the leads hmm. and uh, Frank Costello was almost not played by Jack Nicholson. I, at first when he was approached he turned down the role uh, but he s had a sit down with Scorsese, William Monaghan and Leonardo DiCaprio and they pretty much sold him on the role and he basically at the time he decided to join the production because he'd done a bunch of comedies at that stage of his career and he just wanted to do a villain again and he was approached with the idea of being able to play this character as evil as he wanted to and he considered uh, Frank Costello to be the most evil character he'd ever played hmm. wow so all right um, keep moving then yeah let's okay. move on shine a light which we discovered is that believe that's a documentary about the rolling stones and yes. flashlights <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, that. now oh, I have all sorts of weird images in my head now. We lost that joke, damn. Huh. Yeah, that was the uh, his documentary about the entire career of the Rolling Stones with a lot of concert footage from when they did the Bigger Bang Tour. 
Not yeah. much more to say about that. Uh, yeah. Shutter Island. And, and something, something, Fleshlight. I made a joke that everybody, the world is just going to miss forever. <laughs> that was a good one, Pat. That's uh, it. Thank you. Okay. Shutter Island. This one I want to see. I bought the book because it looks like the type of movie that I would enjoy, like a mystery type uh, thriller. But unfortunately, I have not seen it yet. So tell me why I should see it. All right. Somebody. Well, Shutter Island is set in the 50s. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio again playing U.S. Marshal Teddy Daniels. He's going to an island that has a mental institution. And he is investigating one of the patients there who is a murderess who is, has escaped from the hospital and is presumed to be hiding somewhere on the island. Uh, as he conducts his inquiry, uh, the various inmates reveal secrets to him that make him believe not as all what it seems. And at first, he's questioning what the staff, including Dr. Kali and Dr. Nehring, as played by Ben's King, Ben Kingsley and Max von Sydow, what they are doing in their roles as administrators there, whether there's some sort of conspiracy and after a hurricane, was it? Or was it a tornado? No, hurricane. It was a hurricane. It was a hurricane, hits the island and knocks out the power and separates him from his partner. He goes deeper into the rabbit hole beyond questioning what's going on at uh, the island, questioning the very nature of his investigation and himself. It's got kind of a like sixth floor, sixth sense sort of feel where you're questioning uh, what you see. Is it real or is it a function of the madness that's going on at Shutter Island? I, I really like this I, I think it's Shyamalan film done better than Shyamalan ever did any of his movies. Hmm. Hmm. I would See, agree with I, that. I, I like this movie, but it suffered from the usual suspects thing where, you know, before it ended, I already knew it was going to happen. And it kind of was like, oh, OK, yeah. But I, up to that point, which was maybe in this one, maybe like the last 20 minutes, I I was sold. I was into it. Um, I, I bought into it hook, line and sinker. Um, and it, it still has a good payoff and I still recommend it. I think it's a very well done movie and uh, has a good storyline um but uh yeah anyway pat uh, yeah i enjoyed this movie a lot but i don't know if i'm gonna bother buying it on dvd so take that for what you want rewatchability you mean yeah i mean it's really it's really interesting once you start learning about it and seeing the behind the scenes and, and, and like if you if you watch a, a commentary on it or anything it's fascinating i mean it's really really well done there's a lot of hidden stuff in it okay i think i'll read oh i was gonna say because i think i'm gonna read the book before i watch the movie that's probably fine i mean it invites parallels to inception uh and in some ways if you were to watch the two movies you'd say okay there are some similar themes going on here they both star dicaprio and honestly though it doesn't really fit uh with the topic of this show because it wasn't a scorsese flick if i had to pick one of the two similar movies i would overwhelmingly pick inception yes definitely okay all right then. inception is one of my favorite movies really yep whoa Huh. Oh, maybe a future show topic. Could be. Josh, you've been watching Boardwalk Empire. Yes, I watched the whole first two seasons of Boardwalk Empire, which uh, ha- brought on Scorsese in the original production, and I believe he uh, directed the very first episode in yeah, 2010. He yeah, the pilot was was his, because he's executive producer, and he directed the pilot. So, uh, Boardwalk Empire is a Steve Buscemi vehicle showing him uh, as uh, the leader 
mayor of New Jersey, basically, both politically and as head of the local organized crime during the time of Prohibition. Uh, while by day he gives speeches about how he's going to stamp out that evil booze, uh, at night he's commanding guys to smuggle it into Jersey. Uh, and it's interesting how he's got both his political and family connections and his uh, mob connections kind of support each other in some interesting ways where he finds out that uh, no, it, it's obvious how having contacts in politics might help your mob career, but occasionally having contacts in the criminal underworld gave afforded him opportunities as a politician, which he otherwise would not have had, which also ended up giving him enemies on both sides, which is what uh, the whole series ends up being about throughout the seasons. It's, so. Is it based on a true story? Oh yeah, Nucky uh, Enoch Nucky Thompson is based on a historical character. Mm. So it's dramatization uh, with a lot of fiction involved, but it's certainly based on a true story. But this is a guy that we now know in retrospect worked both sides of the law. Yeah, uh, wow. yeah. I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, his name was not actually Nucky Thompson. See, this uh, is one of those. Oh, good. Uh, I was just gonna say he, he was actually Enoch. L. Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. This is one of those that I I, I want to have wanted to watch for quite a while and have Same not here. got around to yet. I just added it to Amazon Prime after the last show when you guys told me it was available. Um, and it also reminds me we need to do a Buscemi show at some point, but we'll get to that. It oh, looks yeah. good. It looks like a good show. Okay. Uh, public speaking. Next thing he did was a documentary on public speaking on Fran Leibowitz. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a documentary about his trip to like Spain. No, it's about <laughs> Fran Leibowitz. In another yeah. twist, public speaking is also about the Rolling Stones. Wait, <laughs> did you say it's about Annie Leibowitz? That seems like an odd Fran Leibowitz. for him. Fran Leibowitz. Oh, is that her sister? Yes. George okay. Harrison, Living in the Material World. That's a documentary about Madonna. <laughs> no. So, two more documentaries, so, and then 2011, he made Hugo. In a weird twist of events, I am the only one that's seen it. I was going to say, now it's Mike's time to shine. Of course, as he's like, he's watched. It's the only Everything one in the last... Up Millhouse. <laughs> the only one in the last 15 years. Come on, man. All right, well... Okay, Milo... I watch Milo just because it's the only one in the last 15 years where he's made where it's it's uh, PG. It's meant for... like It's, it's a kid's movie. It's a family movie. Uh, it stars... Ben Kingsley and Sasha Baron Cohen uh, also has Chloe Grace Moretz as Isabel, who you know as Hit Girl from um, Kick-Ass, Kick Ass. Uh, Ray Weinstone, Christopher Lee, and uh, uh, Richard, the late Richard Griffiths. Is this uh, the one that's like oddly animated? No. You're thinking Tintin, maybe? You no. might he's be thinking, thinking. He's thinking the, uh, the Polar Express. Well, yeah, I, I thought this was done in the same style as Polar Express. No, well, no, it's a live too. action. Is um, it? Oh, okay. It, okay, here's a, the plot plot. Plotline for it on yes, my prof prof. In nineteen set in nineteen thirties Paris, he, uh, Hugo is an orphan that lives in the walls of a train station and is wrapped up in trying to figure out. He has this automa- automaton, a wind up doll uh, that writes. It looks, looks like it's sitting at a desk and holding a pen. He's orphaned. His dad was killed in a in a fire. Who was also played by Jude Law, and the only thing he has left from his father is this automaton that he was making or that he was uh, re- restoring at the at the museum with him. Uh, he lives in the walls of the. It's not really in the walls because he's the one who actually has been taking care of all the clocks. 
in the uh, in the train station. So there's this ongoing theme of uh, clockwork and gears and that sort of thing. So he winds up stealing something from Ben Kingsley, uh, a little wind-up toy, because he's trying to gather uh, sprockets and gears and springs and stuff to try and repair this uh, wind-up man that he has. And Ben Kingsley catches him. You think it? One thing I'm gonna say for a for a family film uh, is that Martin Scorsese does not cater. <laughs> yes, he does not. You know, uh, Joel, you know what I'm talking about. You watch a family film and it's this lighthearted. You know, oh, there's not a real lot of, lot of plot going on in there. There's not a lot of um, depth. Right. He doesn't pull any punches in making family films. I'm gonna tell you that right now for Scorsese because there are about five different plot lines all going on at the same time in this <laughs> one, and by the end. Of of it, uh, well, calling spoilers, at, by the end of it, you're now discovering all sorts of things about French cinema. Because it's the discover what the, the the automaton, the girl that he meets, he meets Hit Girl, who is actually the niece or the god godchild of Ben Kingsley in this movie. And he winds up meeting her, and she has a key around her neck that actually fits into the back of the automaton. So he, they get up there, they turn the automaton on, and it draws a picture of the, you remember the old silent movie, uh, Rocket to the Moon, where the moon, the rocket hits the man in the moon in the eye? Yeah. It draws that. Well, that connects back to his father who was telling him about that was one of the first movies he's his dad ever saw and how much he loved it. So he thinks it's a message from his dad that he programmed into this automaton. Then a little bit more digging goes on. You find out that Ben Kingsley is actually Georges Melais, who is the director of that movie. And that automaton was actually his. And he had donated it to the museum to get it because he had gone bankrupt after uh, talkies started. After the war, nobody wanted to see these silent movies anymore. There, you know, Nobody wanted to... To see fantasy anymore, so they he stopped making the movies and basically became this sad old man running a little toy store on the train station. So you have this whole thing with the automaton is not really a message from his dad, but then you discover that Ben Kingsley is this old great director who this person, this uh, professor at the film academy, has been a total obsession for. There's like 18 different things all going on. You know, you have the plot line with Christopher Lee in the bookstore that he runs. You have Sasha Baron Cohen as the station inspector who spends the entire time catching stray children and sending them to the orphanage. Well, you have a whole background on him that you learn learn about. And then there's him and the flower girl who he likes. And then there's a um, Madame, Madame MLA is Frances de la Tour. I don't know if you've seen the new uh, Alice in Wonderland. Mm, he, yes. Okay, the, the aunt who's been waiting for her prince to come and pick her take her away, the one who's insane. That's her. And Richard Griffith, who plays the uh, Harry Potter's uncle in the Harry Potter movies. Yes. He's in that. There's a, like a romantic thing between him and her also. And there's all these different plot lines that he manages to wrap up really well at the end. There are no hanging strings. There's no, um, you know, oh, we'll just you know, just leave it behind. Don't worry about it. He takes the time. And it's, the movie's almost two and a half hours long, I think, for a family film. It's, it's, I mean, it's a haul. But the kids sat and watched it the entire time. Both the girls liked it. I mean, and I, I thought it was really good. The cinematography is amazing in this. Just the moving through the gears, moving through the clockwork, and the different angles that he comes at, uh, the different well, I, scenes I remember with. when this movie came out, that's what everybody was talking about, was how beautiful it was. Oh, it is. I mean, yeah. it really is. Uh, and the whole seeing France and seeing Paris as this giant clockwork city, and everybody has a, everybody's a gear in the city, and they all have a reason for being there. Um, both girls liked it. I mean, this may be, this is one that I'm, I'm going to pick up on DVD, because it's one of those that we probably won't see sitting on the shelf 
you know, next to, you know, the latest Barbie piece of crap that's out. I'm going to be honest, Mike. You so uh, successfully sold me when you got to the, like, talk about clockworks and automatons that at the instant you said, uh, spoiler alert, I was, like, taking off my headphones and making sure I didn't catch any spoilers for, like, a good two and a half minutes of you talking. So, Oh, cool. Yeah, I no. just pretty much tuned back in when I was sure it was safe and the coast was clear. Yeah. I personally <laughs> want to see this, care about spoilers, and actually, uh, yeah, tune out while you were explaining the movie no and josh this is you would like this one this one make a big bowl of popcorn with sarah sit down and watch this for an evening because i'm like i said first off it's two and a half hours long two and a half hours it's long for a family film uh 126 minutes so okay so a good half half hour 40 minutes longer than a typical family flick yeah which are normally you know anywhere from an hour 15 you know and they cram the little you know back of the cereal box plot line to it but the other thing about this is that everybody is amazing ben kingsley as george malaise is a great uh uh well i mean he's ben kingsley he can do no wrong really sasha baron cohen another one of those i mean he plays this over the top almost uh pink panther-esque type inspector you know always stumbling over himself uh and there's you know it's he's He's Sasha Baron Cohen. He plays the you know the goofy character to the hilt. Aza Butterfield plays Hugo, and I don't think he's done. Yeah, he was in Ender's Game, and he was in a movie called The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which is another one. If you really want to get depressed, watch that. Right. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I mean, it's an amazing movie, but it's very, very depressing. Um, I know everybody in this movie is very well picked for the characters that they have. Uh, I liked it. Like I said, it's going to be one of those that I'm going to pick up when I see it. So thumbs up for me. I mean, Joel, I think your kids would love it because it's there's a lot going on in there. I mean, there's oh, not. It's been in my queue for a while. I just haven't had the chance to like sit down and watch it you know how summer gets yeah totally so there's the one i've seen i loved it i mean it's definitely uh scorsese keeps keeps up to his reputation in this Cool. All right. Well, I'm glad that's uh, glad that I kind of discovered this movie. Cool. So who changed it to Hugh Joe? <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess Joel. Yeah. <laughs> Did you really have to ask? Yeah. Well, it was either you or him. All right. So Josh and Pat, yes. Wolf of Wall Street. So yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street was actually one that I specifically watched for this show. Uh, it was the movie on the list that I watched preparing for the show that I had not previously seen. So I just finished it actually minutes before we were started recording back on Thursday. Uh, I really, really like this one. Uh, ended up watching it with my wife, but it is long. It's over three hours. Uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Jordan Belfort, Jonah Hill as uh, his uh, one of his earliest partners, Donny Azov. Uh, otherwise, it's got Rob Reiner, Kyle Chandler, Matthew McConaughey, John Bernthal, John Favreau. Uh, another just like all-star cast assembled by Scorsese for the tale of a stockbroker who descended into pretty much being the worst of the uh, non-Bernie Madoff kind of exploitative screw the customers over and make myself rich kind of stockbroker and his rise to power and fall from grace. Hmm. It is a very, very good movie, but it is... There's a lot of uh, over-the-topness to it <laughs> because that that whole lifestyle was so over-the-top itself. And just portraying that and the things that they did, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of shocking stuff in this movie as far as <laughs> just just imagery and stuff and just, you know, things that they did and things that they said and just the way they lived their lives and everything. Um, I, have a, I have a great story about this movie. Um, I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, visiting my mother. Uh-oh. And, <laughs> and we decided, let's go see a movie. We're like, okay. 
<laughs> we show up at the theater and we're like, we're like, oh, what are the two movies we can choose from? You know, we figure out what's what's playing and there's only two movies we can choose from. And I don't remember what the other movie was. But it probably but was remember, a better choice now. I, I, I definitely think we should have picked that one because we said, I remember my mother saying, oh, I've heard something about this Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it's supposed to be, a, you know, the, the, the new movie. Let's go see that. I'm like, all right. I didn't, you know, I'd heard about it too. I didn't really know a whole, a whole lot about it for some reason. I think because I was in Little Rock. <laughs> And the opening scene of this movie um, is not, and this is not a spoiler at all, but the opening scene of this movie is you see a woman's ass and she's bent over and Leonardo DiCaprio is, is blowing cocaine up her asshole over and over and talking and, and, the, and the conversation and the action and everything going on. And, and, and then it dawned on me. I was like, the credits said a Martin Scorsese film. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went, well, this is going to be fun because my mother is a nice little conservative Christian lady and she appreciated the movie <laughs> as far as like it being a good movie and well acted and everything and interesting and entertaining. But she's like, there was a lot of boobs and penises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my True. God. Uh, oh, that's so God. funny, though. <laughs> Uh, that, Jonah that, Hill uh, really I'm surprised a, me in this real speech. quick, Josh. That's a better oh, story than when my brother-in-law took my mother-in-law to see Big Daddy, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, close to the same thing. Uh, it's awesome that Jonah Hill was able to do still his kind of comedy thing because the character he is playing is just a crazy freak. Yeah. Um, at, at one point, uh, he is visibly masturbating and he had a prosthetic, <laughs> a gigantic prosthetic penis that he's masturbating in the middle of a party with. And apparently they did not tell any of the other actors. So all of their reactions were genuine. Because they didn't know it was fake. They didn't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they didn't know he was going to be doing that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Another bit of Jonah Hill uh, trivia. There is a scene where Jonah Hill's character is punched in the mouth, uh, for something he's done by another one of the characters. Characters. Well, it was real. Uh, John Bernthal hit Jonah, hard, uh, Jonah Hill so hard in the mouth that uh, the prosthetic teeth Jonah Hill was wearing to play his character split and flew out of his mouth like a boxing mouth guard. Ooh. <laughs> so uh, Scorsese kept the cameras rolling and proceeded to film Jonah Hill's face swelling in real time as it actually was swelling because he was really hit in the mouth. Damn. Wow. So uh, that gives me a little bit more respect for Jonah Hill. Yeah. Jonah yeah. Hill is great. In this movie he really is uh he's awesome matthew mcconaughey is uh basically the character who sets leonardo dicaprio's career path from being this bright-eyed oh i'm not going to drink at lunch to being the crazy drug infested madman obsessed with money that he is yeah there's a key scene where matthew mcconaughey is at a business lunch with him and he does this strange chant where he's just like humming and pounding his chest which becomes a recurring theme throughout the movie. Interesting thing is this was not a part of the book by Joel Erden Belfort that uh, the movie's based on. It wasn't in the script. Uh, the chest beating and humming performance was improvised. It's actually a part of Matthew McConaughey's personal warm-up routine whenever he does acting. And Scorsese and DiCaprio saw him doing it while getting ready for the uh, film and said, "Yeah, that's awesome. Let's uh, work it into the let's work it into the film." Huh. So, yeah, um, that was, uh, let's see, where are we at? Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Hello, self. 
How are you? I'm all right. Uh, there's Hello. a scene. There's I'm out of a coffee. scene in this movie where um one one of their one of their drugs of choice is quaaludes, which were very popular back then. And and there's a scene where the quaaludes kick in, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio has to drive his Lamborghini. And I swear, it's one of the funniest scenes I've seen. And I mean, I was my mom and I were both almost crying. It was so funny just watching him try to drive a car while he was just so fucked up. I don't even know how to describe it. You just have to see it. Yeah. Yeah, this was a film that was basically created uh, from whole cloth by Leonardo DiCaprio. He got his uh, hands on a copy of the book by Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street. And DiCaprio, since getting his hands on that book, was obsessed with playing this character and made sure that he got this movie made. Hmm. Uh, Jordan Belfort himself uh, actually appears at the end of the movie introducing DiCaprio as Jordan Belfort very briefly. And there was a bit of a controversy over both the uh, book that was written and the appearance fees paid to Belfort for the movie rights, because despite being convicted for his financial crimes and restitution being demanded to pay to his victims, uh, Belfort has only paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars in the last 10 years. And, uh, he came under criticism for taking the money for writing the book, taking the money for, uh, making the movie and pretty much not paying any of his victims back for what he did. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. That sounds like Jordan Belfort. <laughs> yeah. He claims that through appearance fees and speaking fees, he will have everybody paid back in the next few years. But, uh, I guess the, that's the modern equivalent of the, the check is in the mail. Yeah. All right. So that's 2013. And in his spare time between then and now, he's done Two more documentaries, uh, New York Review of Books, 50-Year Argument, and then the untitled Bill Clinton documentary. It's a horrible title. Right. So, Doesn't really roll off the tongue. No. Nope. Uh, not so much on, I don't think they're not yet released, that's it. No. Not yet released. Add a plot. Hey, everybody get out there and add a plot <laughs> add to a the plot. untitled Bill Clinton <laughs> documentary. Can't wait to see what that's going to show up. I am looking forward to Silence coming in 2015, a historical drama about two Jesuit priests who show up in Japan to locate their mentor and to spread Christianity throughout Japan in the 17th century. And they uh, uh, are like dodging persecution and violence. That sounds like a really interesting take on a, a period that I'd like to know more about from a kind of interesting perspective character. Oh, it looks like it's got a good cast, too. They've got Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield. As the uh, look, I'm guessing probably the, per- the two priests and Ken Watanabe is in there also. So yeah, I will definitely be looking forward to that. He's also got Sinatra, which is still uh, we're very reach a point where none of his stuff is uh, at this point from Wolf of Wall Street has been released yet. Uh, on IMDb, it just says life of life story of legendary singer and actor Frank Sinatra. Now. If Wolf of Wall Street is so over the top, as you guys say, I cannot wait to see what he's going to do with a Sinatra story. <laughs> because that, I i mean, just some of the rumors. I mean, I remember when Sinatra died. He's basically only going to be able to do what the Sinatra estate lets him do. <laughs> right. Well, that'll be that'll be interesting. You know, Sinatra estate versus Martin Scorsese. Who wins? Sinatra, Sinatra. estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Who wins? Because Sinatra. Even, even he knows to pay, you know, to pay correct homage. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember when Sinatra died in like the, all the newspapers like the next day Sinatra dead had mob ties no <laughs> shit 
<laughs> Thank I mean, you. If anybody could make Martin Scorsese sleep with the fishes, it's a Sinatra estate. Yeah. And if anybody's going to respect Sinatra, it's going to be the guy who made all the mob movies in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm, sure, yeah, I'm sure he knows what will you know. <laughs> I've researched this. So are we at an end for Scorsese? Yeah, we I are. think we are. So well, what do we got on tap for next week, guys? Uh, next week we're doing game shows. I'm glad you remember because I fucking forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I started last night, my research. Yeah. I actually wrote it on a post it note next to my computer. Next to the uh, phone number, in case you want to get to us, 708-669-9727 if you want to leave us a voicemail. Or you can get us at 40go14 at gmail.com. And Josh, if they want to listen to the show, where can they find us? Yeah, if you'd like to listen to this show, well, you're probably doing that already. What? <laughs> yeah. well, like... Don't give directions how to listen to this one. If you'd like to listen to this show again, or listen to <laughs> any of the previous shows, you can find those at our website at 40go14.com or the Musings of a Geese podcast network website. <laughs> Did you say Musings of a Geese? <laughs> yes, music. Some people juggle geese. Musingsofageek.com. Also, uh, we've got our Facebook page. You can just find us searching for 40 Going On 14 or find us hosted on Stitcher, TalkShoe, iTunes, or Blueberry. Yeah. So uh, get your game show on. We're, uh, any of you guys have one that you're going to focus on for next week? Jeopardy. Oh, I lost uh, on Jeopardy. Uh, baby. Baby. Thinking, uh, Jeopardy's my favorite. Family Feud I'm thinking I'm going for. That pretty much that leaves me with what, Wheel of Fortune? I don't know. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. Press your luck. Press your Remote luck. Control. Yeah, yeah we're definitely going to be talking about some press your luck. Remote control. <laughs> Remote control. <laughs> Singled out. <laughs> Starcade. Whoa. Uh, good one. Wow. Real throwback there. And then we got to talk about now, and that's what I was doing. Joel, I was watching some Joel's game is going to be lingo. What? What is that? <laughs> Look it up. No. <laughs> it's Chuck Woolery's current game that he hosts. No. Oh. We're always worried whenever you tell us to look something up, Pat. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, check up with us next week, and uh, we will uh, have a new show for you. I hope you enjoyed this one, and don't forget, give us a call and give us an email or a Twitter or a tweet or a twat or... No, not that. <laughs> oh, <whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please. No, please. Yeah. yeah nope. 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 <laughs> all right. So, I will. Not be, I, I. I will accept all of those. If anybody wants to donate them, just you guys are all taken. It's true. Remember, one of the listeners has your address. You don't yeah, know, on that note. They all have my address. <laughs> I don't care. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Yay. You are now leading the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Wow! <laughs> there. I think that'll do. Trust me, that'll do. That'll do. Or I could just stop it and restart <laughs> it. That's too easy. <laughs> now we just have made all those noises. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have a bumper. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the stinger. Uh.